Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, it's been an interesting week in real estate and so much going on. You know what? Uh, the legalization of marijuana. That's right. The big day hit and uh, I wonder how everybody feels about it. You know, landlords have been very nervous about this. There's so many people that we need to talk to, uh, you know, trying to get their take on what can landlords do what tenants rights and um, i'm going to talk about this uh pretty much for a good part of the show today i've got some experts that are going to be joining me uh my uh mark wiseletter uh you've heard him here on the show uh he's a contributor at uh, news talk 1010 he's uh, with the law firm real estate lawyers and uh, mark and i are going to be talking in a little while about this because i think it's very important that you know we get kind of the legal per perception of marijuana in a rental uh, you know location again um, it's up to everybody to do what they wish but it does somebody have more rights than others and I want to talk about a few things that I got flagged with this week because being a licensed uh, realtor one of the things that we do of course is that we get information uh, and guidance from a corporation called the Real Estate Council of Ontario of course uh, they are the governing body for all licensed realtors and it was interesting because the registrar sent out a note to all realtors this week letting them know about the legalization of cannabis and they wanted to get everybody's kind of perception to certain things but more more importantly they wanted to let realtors know what kind of disclosures are required in the near future and what some people will consider grow ops that's right you know, this was a this was a uh, kind of an expression made. I, I would say not quite famous, but it had a huge bearing back in the early 2000s. And this is where you know marijuana grow ups were popping up, uh, normally in basements of houses that were rented. Um, massive, massive uh, amount of mold would be found in these properties. Some of them had to be actually torn down. Some were able to get uh, remunerated, where they turn around and get you know have everything removed, get the mold removed get clean air reports. This is all part and parcel of when something is actually deemed a grow up. And at a certain level, you know, the house would carry a stigma. And, you know, if, uh, if you've ever looked into uh, houses like this, there's a lot of work that has to be done before you, they deem it to be safe to be occupied. So the registrar, of course, um, wanted to be able to, I guess, get a little bit ahead of this. Um, mind you, it was the day before it became legal. Um, the notice went out to everybody around October 16th. But I thought I would, uh, I thought I would uh, kind of touch on this because I think it's very important for you, either home buyer, home seller, understanding what legal rights are going to be, you know, kicking around when we talk about the sale of a property and what some people will call a stigma versus a defect and this is one of the things that again they're trying to educate realtors very quickly so a stigma is a non-physical attribute of a property that may trigger a negative emotional or psychological response in a potential buyer so in other words if and 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 you know this question got a lot asked a lot over the years that if somebody died in the house are you supposed to disclose it now if it was a criminal activity where they died meaning that you know somebody got murdered or some kind of gruesome thing that happened 
do you have to disclose it? Technically, um, if it is something that illegal happened, yes, you do. But um, if somebody just passed away in their sleep, should you know that somebody did that? And does that then provide a stigma? And so this is one of the things that, um, you know, there, I think people are very aware of, but what does truly constitute a stigma? Um, you know, it'll vary from buyer to buyer. Some people, uh, it could be more of a religious thing that, you know, they can't have somebody have died in it. Um, you know, it could be that, you know, this is their beliefs. And so definitely you have to be able to disclose it if the question is asked. But what about a defect? Okay, what is truly a defect? Well, a defect on the other hand, a physical attribute of the property. Physical defects fall into two broad categories. Patent defects are readily visible, so you can see it or, ident or identify during a home inspection. Um, and it means that you don't have to be breaking down walls to, to find it. It's, you know, it's pretty much front and center. But of course, there's the latent defects. And this is the one that a lot of times people get caught up with. And, you know, it's like, um, well, the basement was flooding, but we didn't know it because we didn't see the mold behind there. Um, you know, sooner or later, there's some things that do kind of rear their heads. It could be a couple of years, but was it building for that? So latent defect, of course, are not apparent and may not be easily discoverable even by a home inspector or other experts. If the latent defect poses a serious risk to health and safety for those who live in the home, it must be disclosed by the seller. Okay, so this is where marijuana grow-ups um, became a real hot topic for years. And a lot of times the mold was not recognized because it could have been venting, uh, you know, in certain areas, normally the attic. And if they, if they couldn't catch it right away, and if the home inspection wasn't done properly, and if it was, you know, maybe bought in a bidding war, some of these things were missed. So again, marijuana and property damage. Is it possible that, you know, they're saying that there's going to be a limit of four plants uh, let's say per owner. I'm not sure if it's per person or per owner. Still waiting for the disclosure on that, but four plants in a property. Um, and is that going to all of a sudden trigger the idea that something is a grow up? Um, this is a tough one because it's going to be up to the lenders to make their decision. So if a home inspector goes in and let's say you grew four marijuana plants in the property, you know, near a window ledge or somewhere, you know, your own little, you know, area that you thought that was good to grow things, um, will it create enough mold in a property to now be deemed a grow up or, you know, something that is going to be a health hazard? So this is this is going to be one of the hardest things for i think the real estate industry to deal with over the next uh little while and of course you know i don't believe that uh, at this time you can buy the buds to be able to grow this stuff so when we take a look in the future it could we you know we may have to wait for the next 12 to 18 months before this becomes very apparent and what people you know have to be concerned about so i think this is a couple things so if you're uh, if you are a buyer and you're walking through a home, you see something, you know, or you're just, you're curious, you can ask that your agent, you know, ask the seller, has anything been growing in here? Is there any idea of mold? You know, you can put the seller on the hook for the time being that they have owned the property. Now, remember, they will say best to their knowledge of 
at the time of their ownership. So if it happened beforehand and it wasn't disclosed to them, that may be difficult. Now, if your house was truly a grow up, normally there is some form of the uh, police in your municipality will have it registered on a list. Not all of them do, some of them do. And so again, this is one of those things, ask your neighbors and if they say, yes, it was raided, it was complete you know, shambles. Um, you know, again, this is one of those things that disclosure is going to become very important in this avenue. Um, again, you must have your own independent inspections. This is why, you know, again, when this happens to evolve down the road, I think we're going to have to be very cautious with this whole thing. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be uh, as big a deal um, as far as grow ups and for plants. Um, I've actually had to sell uh, a great deal of these uh, in the in my past life as a realtor. Uh, normally, they went power sale. And so this is not uh, uncommon in the industry. But again, disclosure is going to be very very important. Now, another thing, of course, when we start talking about, uh, you know, what rights does a tenant have, and, you know, some cases that have actually popped up where there was somebody living in a condominium building, and the person, um, you know, living there was actually deathly allergic to the, uh, the smell of marijuana or the smoke itself. And so the condominium did a knee-jerk reaction. Immediately they said, yep, we're outlawing it entirely in the condominium. And there was a medical marijuana patient that was also residing there. And so this has infringed on their rights. So when one of the things that I think we have to be well aware of is that, uh, you know, when we take a look at cannabis, it is going to be able to be consumed in different avenues. So it could be oil, it could be edibles. This is the future of what a lot of these companies, in fact, a lot of US companies are really taking a look at uh, the Canadian market saying, we're gonna be able to introduce all sorts of different, uh, you know, uh, avenues for people to consume this stuff. So I think before everybody jumps on the bandwagon and says, okay, well, I can't smoke it. So that means you're, you're infringing on my human rights. I think that people need to take a good look at, you know, how can it be consumed? Are you able to work with somebody? Again, it's a very rare case that somebody is definitely, uh, you know, can have a death, uh, deathly reaction to this. But ultimately, in the end, you know, condominiums are going to have a bit of a tough, tough grind, um, you know, being able to outlaw things. It may be the fact that, you know, it can only be consumed in outlying areas off the property, uh, not necessarily through any of the corridors. And ultimately, in the end, you know, we're going to have to see how this one plays out. I think that there's going to be a lot of landlords that are going to struggle with this. And so one of the reasons why I thought I would have uh, Mark uh, Wiseletter come and join me is that, you know, he's been following this uh, very carefully. And we're going to have to get a real read on this as it unfolds. And I think over the next 12 months, we're going to see a lot of things come to head with the idea of the legalization of marijuana and what will happen in the, in the grand scheme of things of, of being a landlord and a tenant. And if there's any damage done by the tenant, it will have to be remediated by the tenant uh, for the landlord. So we'll wait and see how that uh, plays out. Oh, by the way, um, just so you know, I've got Phil Soper joining me later in the hour. Uh, he's from Royal LePage, and uh, Phil is the chief executive officer and president of Royal LePage. He's been with me uh, on the show quite a few times, and we're going to talk about what's going on in the marketplace, uh, what we're going to expect over the next six to 12 months. Again, the market is moving in. By the way, Canada, uh, sorry, Toronto has fallen off its pedestal as far as being the number one market. Uh, pretty much in the world. In fact, we you won't believe the number that it's hit. And I'm going to talk with Phil about that. Um, by the way, 
We've got another uh, simple seminar coming up on November 22nd, uh, the last one in October. Unbelievable showing, as I'd mentioned, you know, full house and lots to talk about. And so uh, on Thursday, November 22nd at 7 p.m. So make sure you go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register. You're going to find out more about our, our newest releases as well. So you don't want to miss that. So coming up after the break, I've got Mark Weisletter joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, my next guest is Mark Weisletter, and he's from the law firm realestatelawyers.ca. And Mark, uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Mark, uh, I understand you've had a very busy week, obviously, uh, with the new legalization of cannabis, marijuana, whatever anybody wants to call it, pot. Um, a lot going on because of, you know, the legality of landlords, tenants, and even lenders nowadays. Can you, can you kind of give me a little bit of an overview on your take on this whole thing? Uh, thank you. So the, it boils down to two things. Uh, landlords and, and homeowners uh, and perhaps uh, owners of rental properties are nervous about two things. Uh, is a tenant who is smoking cannabis uh, today bothering other tenants or perhaps other condominium unit owners and what can be done about that? And um, perhaps more important, are they growing the uh, cannabis plants in the home which could result in mold? Uh, and damage uh, behind the wall. So those are the two main issues facing not just uh, landlords, but also home buyers who are worried, are they buying a property that perhaps had plants in it that created mold behind the walls? Because that's expensive to remove. So, Mark, a couple of things. Um, you know, there was the case that got uh, played out in Mississauga where there was an, an actual resident that was highly allergic to marijuana and almost to the point where it would cause death. And the condominium then implemented a no cannabis rule immediately in it. But yet there was the situation where there was somebody that had medical marijuana and it was for pain management. And so, of course, this probably becomes a human rights issue. But is it not true, and, and, and I talked a little bit about this earlier, um, the fact that there's going to be different ways of consuming marijuana in the future. You know, there's edibles, there's oils, there's all sorts of different ways. So the excellent, excellent point. Excellent yeah, point. you know, and, and, and I've been struggling with this because, you know, a lo you know, everybody believes that the only way that you can consume marijuana is just by smoking it. But yet in the U.S., it, it holds a massive part. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar. Edibles in, in cannabis are, are a multi-billion dollar business, and it's only going to trickle into Canada. I, I agree. And I think that what you're, you've just hit on potentially the solution, because you live in a house, it's your house, you want to smoke cannabis, you're not bothering anybody. It's really not an issue. But in a condominium, for example, many in Ontario have passed rules that not only ban cannabis smoke, but also cigarettes uh, as well. And so they've taken a pretty strict approach on all kinds of smoke, uh, etc. Now, uh, they've also grandfathered uh, cigarette smokers who were smoking before the rule. But it's pretty clear on cannabis. And what they've said in the rules, interestingly, for the medical cannabis users is, uh, number one, we're going to need some kind of medical evidence that, as you, as you said, uh, that 
you need medical cannabis and your illness cannot be treated with an edible or a lotion. Because if you have a medical cannabis prescription, you can buy those products today, even though the rest of Canadians can only buy the recreational uh, marijuana. But let's say your doctor says you must have the, the cigarette. You can't be treated with a edible. Then the condominium says, well, you've got to install equipment, ventilation, uh, electricity, whatever you can do that contains the smoke you generate to your unit alone. And it does not escape to cause perhaps the damage that you were referring to with that person. And there are other ways to consume cannabis. So uh, my kids laugh at me when I say this because I'm not a user myself. But for example, if you use uh, an instrument called a bong, for example, and you uh, light the cannabis oil, uh, that will not generate as much smoke as a marijuana cigarette. And if you use another contraption, I, I understand it's called a smoke buddy, where you exhale into this, it has carbon filters that will basically intercept all of the odors we associate with a marijuana cigarette. So I believe there will be ways to do this. And there's also vaping, like these vaping pens, which a medical cannabis user can buy, which gives you most of the benefits of a cannabis cigarette, but doesn't create the smoke. So I think that you've hit it. It'll either be an edible lotion or a different way to smoke that allows people to enjoy cannabis, but not bother other people. And that's, I think, the compromise that's looked at or will be looked at between uh, landlords, tenants, condominium owners. So, uh, Mark, when we talk about uh, landlords, so, of course, we, you know, in most cases, we talk residentially. Now, let's talk about commercially for a second. You know, the idea that somebody wants to rent a commercial unit to perhaps sell, um, you know, paraphernalia or down the road if they're able to seek a license of some form that allows them to distribute it. Um, is this going to be a tough thing for, for commercial landlords as well? I don't think so. Uh, uh, as I understand it, uh, people are trying to secure space today for these. It's, it's, they're going to be very valuable, these uh, uh, retail stores to uh, sell. So even without licenses, some tenants have gone in to secure space, but they basically uh, negotiated with the landlords to say, if we don't get our retail license within six, nine months, we have the right to cancel the lease with a penalty of so many dollars. That's happening in the market right now. So, uh, And you have to figure that to get a license, there will be provincial uh, restrictions put on it, just like getting a casino license, liquor license. So people are going to have to put uh, things in place to prevent damages and other things that might concern a landlord. So I don't think a commercial landlord, other than the person having the right to do it and the zoning in the city allowing it, because as you know, some cities can have the right to not permit a retail store in their city uh, when, when, uh, when it becomes available. So as long as the uh, tenant complies with the local rules and whatever the license conditions are, a landlords actually will probably be quite happy with this because it will generate a lot of money for it. Yeah, 
Excellent. Well, listen, Mark, always a pleasure to have you on the show and get your insight on these things. And of course, uh, I'm going to stay in touch with you because I think I think we will see, you know, some issues come up as time goes on. And it'll be interesting to see how the courts handle it. I appreciate that. It was a pleasure being with you. Thank you. Thanks so much, folks. That was Mark Weisletter, and he's from the law firm realestatelawyers.ca. Make sure you reach out to him if you're looking for a great real estate lawyer. And uh, when I come back, I've got Phil Soper joining me from Royal Page. So make sure you stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. You know, always a pleasure to have Mark, uh, Mark Weisletter on with me. And um, it's going to be interesting from a legal standpoint on what we can expect over the next, I would say, few months, few years with the legalization of cannabis, marijuana, pot, whatever people want to call it nowadays. I'm, in fact, I'm not even sure what the politically correct way of discussing it is nowadays, but I'm sure we'll get corrected sooner or later. Um, hey, listen, uh, my next guest has uh, been on the show quite a few times and always a pleasure to have him on. It is Phil Soper, and he is the Chief Executive Officer and President of Royal LePage Real Estate Services. And uh, Phil, thanks for coming back. Oh, my pleasure, as always. You know, it's interesting. Uh, you and I have so much to talk about. You know, lots, obviously, in the news this week with the legalization of marijuana. But um, before we go down that road, uh, I definitely want to talk to you about some of the, new, you know, uh, some of the latest releases from Royal Page. Always a great avenue for us to get news and up-to-date on things. Uh, more importantly, the, uh, you know, the funny uh, orange-haired guy down uh, on the south of the border, uh, you know, decided to rename NAFTA. You know, it's not NAFTA 2.0. It is now the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement. Everybody was kind of, you know, waiting with bated breath on this one. Um, what's your take on it? It, it? Obviously, you know, it, it should be a positive thing for us. I, I feel we might have got slighted a little. Um, you know, how do you look at it? Well, firstly, the impact, impact on Canada, I, I agree with you 100%. It is almost universally positive. There's slight gives on dairy, uh, but the retention of, of key, key elements uh, that tie to uh, a broad swath of, of our economy. In general, I think the negotiation team did a fabulous job. They held out, and in the end, they got a result that was far better than than most of us in the business community uh, expected. So, terms of its impact on Canada as a whole, in particular the housing market, I agree with you, Todd. I think it's a, a positive thing, and, and here's why. As we look at the underlying economy in Canada, the um, job situation is the best it's been in, oh, four decades. Uh, GDP growth is strong. Yet consumer confidence was weak through the year, and I think it was predominantly related to trade friction with the United States. And the American president uh, took direct aim at Canada, at our leaders, uh, talked about specific uh, sectors that he was going to punish. It was, it was very unstatesmanlike behavior and very unusual for Canada's closest ally to be talking about Canada and Canadian uh, trade in such a way. And I think people feared for their jobs. Uh, even if they were in a relatively secure job, they were wondering, oh, my God, what's going to happen? What is he going to do to us? So the removal of that drag on the economy should give consumer confidence a lift across all sectors. But I think it'll have a particularly 
positive impact on the uh, the acquisition of large assets. In other words, the purchase of things like uh, homes and cars. But there is a there is a uh, another side to this story. With the economy so strong, with jobs growth so strong, with unemployment so low, there is a risk of uh, inflation uh, coming back and and hurting our economy. So the Bank of Canada has wanted to raise interest rates, but they haven't they haven't uh, at anywhere near the pace that the economy would have dictated because of the uncertainty around trade. So this agreement opens the door for interest rate increases, which is obviously a, a, a drag on the housing market because people don't buy houses based on their sticker price. They buy them based on their monthly payments. So on one hand, positive. On one hand, um, a drag overall uh, positive for both the housing industry in Canada and in the United States, which relied pretty heavily on uh, materials uh, from Canada uh, for building. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I kind of felt like we were being bullied, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, the person south of the border just figured that it's his entire playground and he can be the bully and, and probably we got a little mistreated. You know, I think there was some hurt feelings all in all, as you mentioned, you know, I think that, you know, we didn't fare too badly, nothing that's really saying we're going to lose jobs. And so with the upward pressure, with the potential of the Bank of Canada raising rates this coming week, uh, you know, I think they, they normally keep it at that quarter point. Um, do you think that this is going to spur some people to say, hey, listen, let's get off the fence. Let's start looking at buying because interest rates will probably go up a little bit more in the future? I do. I, I do think this will bring some confidence back to the market. Uh, there's always a bit of pull-ahead buying, too. When there's an anticipated new tax, an anticipated uh, rise in mortgage, uh, mortgage rates, there are people who have the capacity to get into the market but have been waiting, sitting on the fence, and they may they may be pulled ahead into the market as well. So, uh, you know, we're forecasting a stronger fourth quarter than third, and the third quarter results that we just uh, released this week uh, were the strongest this year so far. So, you know, each quarter of 2018 has gotten progressively uh, stronger. It, it was a year of correction. The market did correct a tough year uh, for uh, our industry and for the the economy overall, but in general, uh, each quarter has gotten better as we've worked our way through it. Yeah, one of the one of the things um, you know, you and I have discussed this a couple times. Uh, the fact was the stress test, and from my understanding, um, you know, there is some consideration at taking a harder look at it to see if it's you know going to be necessary or to perhaps open up the avenues for you know we've got our first time home buyers that are struggling a little. Uh, you know, there are certain associations that are going out there saying, hey, you know, let's let's drop land transfer tax. I don't think the land transfer tax is the thing inhibiting people from buying. I think, as you mentioned, it is the, you know, the monthly carrying costs. And that is definitely what it put a lot of breaks, you know, come January on people buying. Yeah, you know, in, interest, a couple of interesting points. If I could take a quick segue on the land transfer tax in Toronto, not the provincial one, 
the uh, C.D. Howe Institute, uh, one of the strongest research organizations in the country that looks at economic uh, and, and business strategy matters, does pure research, uh, showed it to be one of the most damaging taxes in principle that you could leverage on the housing sector. And the, the, the reason is it inhibits the free movement of labor. I know that sounds very academic, but what they're really saying is when you put a large fee and in, on a Toronto home, you know, that kind of fee, is, it, it, it adds up. Uh, it's pretty significant. When you put that kind of tax on, on, on mobility, you stop it. You, you create friction in a free-moving system, and you take transactions out of play. And they studied uh, the region around uh, Toronto, like across the street. You know, we've got places in the city where on one side of the street the tax exists, on one side of the street it doesn't and found a material, I, I, and I'm going from memory, I believe it was something like 16% of transactions were taken out of play only due to the tax. And they advised they'd rather see a small increase in, in overall property taxes across all citizens rather than this uh, large tax on, on movement, because movement is good for the economy. It allows people to go get closer to uh, work, uh, to spend less time commuting. It's just generally people should be able to have mobility. So that's my, my, my take on land transfer taxes. I think as a tool, they're, they're probably the least effective tax that we have in the uh, real estate uh, sector or more, the most damaging. Right. I, I'm sorry, a joke came to mind when I was going to say, so people are on the wrong side of the tax instead of the <laughs> wrong side of the tracks. Um, so, Phil, uh, you and I have lots to talk about uh, today. So um, we're going to go to a quick break. But when we come back, I do want to talk to you, you know, a little bit more about the economy and where it's going. Also, obviously, the legalization of marijuana, the impact yeah. on real estate itself. So if you don't mind, hang on. And folks, when we come back, I've got more with Phil Soper, Chief, Chief Executive Officer and President of Royal Page. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Phil Soper, and he is the Chief Executive Officer and President of Royal LePage. And just before the break, Phil and I were talking about the economy and um, obviously the effect that the United States-Mexico-Canadian agreement had on it, and that maybe, you know, things are looking up. And of course, when things look up, sometimes that means that interest rates can go up. And Phil, just before the break, you know, you and I were talking about, you know, a little bit of the motivation for buyers and how you know right now um, land transfer tax obviously it's it's not a great tax but in Toronto there's more of it and in the outer markets there's not um, but one of one of my concerns was this of course was the fact that when they introduced you know the stress test it actually it really did drop uh, people's ability to qualify for a mortgage and then it dropped them kind of into an area where it's basically nothing but a condo market if we're talking about first-time home buyers right so well yeah is there is there like again like you know i i think that if if somebody had to borrow fifteen thousand dollars for to to pay a land trans the extra land transfer tax they would do it but the fact is the banks saying sorry you don't qualify for the mortgage regardless right yeah you know what it of, of all the 
provincial and previous federal uh, intervention into the market to try to uh, quell demand because these are all these are all strategies that say let's get less people buying houses. <laughs> this was the most effective. Uh, it, it was nationwide, uh, and it triggered the, the the housing correction that we've had on today. I will say, in support of the the move, we had dangerously overheating markets in Toronto and Vancouver. You know, if I go back to the second quarter of last year. Prices in in uh, the 905 places like you know, Richmond Hill were rising at 27 percent per annum, which is completely unsustainable, and they needed to be slowed down. So this was the tool that was put in place, uh, and it was very effective. It did its job, uh, and we've had what I'd call a soft landing. So right now, if you look at Overall, all housing types in the third quarter, roll of page house price uh, composite, Toronto prices are flat. They're, they're actually down 0.4%, less than half of 1% uh, year over year. So that's a pretty good job. Uh, if, you, if you wanted to slow down this uh, economy, one of the challenges is how do you do it without a crash, without the you know, the, the, the drop in 10, 20, 30% uh, value in uh, in home properties, which take can take years to get get through the market, so sure it worked. And I don't think you you, you mentioned earlier in the call uh, potentially there'd be. Uh, and I'm, I'm I'm thinking you were might have been implying that it might have been a temporary tax, my or a temporary measure, I should say. My guess is this tool is going nowhere. Uh, I believe if we were in an era of uh, potentially falling interest rates. So say uh, a recession was underway or on the horizon and the Bank of Canada was planning on reducing interest rates, they might take the qualifying hurdle, that, that the, the stress test number that you need to qualify for a mortgage. They might reduce it a little bit, but I think they're going to leave it in play and, and, and future generations won't have ever known a life without it. So, so then to ask the next question would be, um, how, how are we going to solve the situation where, you know, a, a lot of people are saying they, they can't afford to buy a house, they can't get into a house. Like, there's a lot of this going on, as you know, and to the point where, you know, people are now saying, you know, give everybody the right to have home ownership. But the governments, if you, if you listen to a lot of the campaign, pra, uh, you know, promises out there, oh, we're going to throw this much more into the marketplace. It's, it's, it's a real conundrum right now because, you know, you've got millennials that are trying to move out of mom and dad's, but at the same time, they can't, they can't a, either afford it or qualify because of the stress test. Uh, prices are up and they're all wishing that the prices drop. And of course, we don't want that much of a correction. That, that hurts the market as well. So, you know, th- th- there's a huge teeter-totter that's happening right now. And is there any solution that you can think of? I mean, you know, it would be great if we could, in, you know, impress some of the politicians on how to handle this. Sure. Well, two things. Uh, firstly, this is the first time in years that buyers have had a fair chance in the marketplace. Uh, earlier this year, the first half of the year, prices were actually down. And if you look at different housing categories, you know, a, a, a house, a two-story house in the GTA, the price was down 1.8% year over year. Now, that's not much. It's essentially flat. But 
when we're talking about first-time homeowners, this is the group that is in the, the high-income change part of their life. This is the time of their lives where they get the most raises, where they move between jobs and earn more money, where they get promotions into more, uh, levels of more responsibility. In the 20s and 30s is where we see incomes rise faster than inflation. And uh, the curve slows down a little bit in people's 40s, and by the time they get to the 50s, it's flattening, flattening out, and you're looking at kind of inflationary increases. If a young person uh, is in a relationship with someone who's going to help them buy a home, uh, two salaries together with still very low incomes, there are many, many places in the GTA where they can get into home ownership. And our research into millennial intent last year showed that 87% of millennials wanted to own a home. Now, our home ownership rate is only 68% in Canada, so there's a lot of aspiration there that won't be fulfilled. But when people have a goal in mind, when they're focused on something, and now home prices are stable and their, their incomes can get ahead of the curve, we will see uh, a better opportunity right now for first-time home buyers than we've had, well, since the uh, Great Recession. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's good news for the buyers. And one of the things I've always tried to encourage people is, A, be patient and, yeah. you know, good understand point. what a coat of paint and a new set of, <laughs> a new carpet does. Because, you know, fixer-uppers are a good way for people to build equity. You're right. Um, and, and I think that's very crucial that people know that, you know, it doesn't have to be the shiniest uh, shiniest place to start, but you can make it that way. Um, so, Phil, this week, obviously, legalization of marijuana, a lot of things going on in the real estate world. Of course, the, the perception of the potential, you know, people call them grow-ups. Uh, obviously, the number of plants are going to be limited to per household. Uh, RICO, our governing body, our Real Estate Council of Ontario, sent out, uh, you know, a notice to all realtors to make sure, you know, disclose, disclose, disclose if somebody's buying a house, you know, or any kind of condominium or anything that they, you know, they should ask questions, you know, has there anything been growing? Of course, not yet, but as time goes on, um, you know, do you see do you see this having a little bit of a rippling effect? Um, you know, making things a little bit tougher for transactional real estate. You know, it's you you hit the nail on the head. This is a disclosure issue, and one of the the great benefits of lo- using a licensed, insured, professional realtor is that this kind of disclosure is not only required, but it's also it's, it's also communicated and the training occurs. And if you're, in, you're with a good brokerage, part of what you will be doing now is, is learning about what needs to be disclosed and how you can protect your client. If your client is a, uh, a home lister, a seller of a property, they need to disclose to protect themselves against future litigation. If your client is a buyer, uh, they need to understand disclosable items about acquiring that property and a professional realtor dealing with another will get all of this out on the table. I think it'll just be business as usual, uh, given a bit of time to, to learn the ropes. And a year from now, two years from now, we won't think much about it on a, on a basic level. And I, and I believe, and, and maybe I'm being naive here, that it'll be much like the um, uh, the alcohol industry right now. There are people that make their own wine or beer in the basement, but they are so 
uh, in such small number. And the quality of product you can, you can get through retailers across the country is so much higher that why would you make your own wine unless you're, you're a hobbyist and it's just fun. And I believe that uh, once we get through the, the learning phase in terms of retailing cannabis products, that it will be so much easier simply to acquire it from a retailer in all different kinds of qualities that, that are controlled, that very few people will actually be growing enough cannabis at home to materially impact a home, to create you know, mold or mildew issues from, from uh, too much watering in-house, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, good to know, and and I think it's important that people keep an open mind on what's going to happen, and it doesn't happen immediately. So, you know, if they're buying something tomorrow, they don't have to worry because you know, exactly. first and foremost, people aren't growing it yet in their homes. And um, you know, and and the polls show that it's a relatively small market right now. Eighty percent of people uh, have no interest in becoming cannabis consumers in Canada. These are adults. That may change over time as as you know, cannabis-based uh, drinks are introduced into bars and things, but I think it will well, it'll be a rather niche market uh, for some time to come. So, Phil, your, your take on 2019, just if you could look into your crystal ball quickly for me. Yeah, you know what? The, um, is, as we look ahead, overall in the fourth quarter of 2018, we see the market improving by 1.5%. So, if you um, if if you look quarter by quarter, that's a that's and that's in the twelve week period. So that would be the strongest quarter of two thousand eighteen. Some of that strength. Oh, and by the way, in in um, uh, the GTA, we see two per percent price appreciation in the fourth quarter, which is the strongest uh, major metropolitan area in Canada in our our outlook to the year end. Um, but still much lower than the crazy prices we saw in recent years. Looking to 2019, moderation. We see no spike in, in demand. There's a little bit of pent-up uh, demand there. But remember, we're probably going to see a couple of modest increases in the cost of money. So the two should balance against each other, that pent-up demand, the strong economy, balanced against uh, slightly higher interest rates. And we see a modest year. So single-digit price appreciation. We'll be coming out with our very detailed forecast uh, in, in uh, just a very few weeks. Excellent. Well, listen, Phil, I look forward to getting it. And thanks so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, well, and thanks for having me. It's always a wide-ranging and fascinating discussion. <laughs> thanks so much, Phil. Take care. Bye-bye. Folks, that was Phil Soper, and he is the Chief Executive Officer and President of Royal LePage. Hey, listen, I also want to thank Mark Wiseletter for joining me. Um, great to have Mark on the show and talk a little legalese about what's going on in the world of real estate. Uh, I want to thank uh, Ian. He keeps me, uh, you know, kind of focused and keeps the show simple. He's my producer. And I want to thank you for tuning in. And uh, remember, I'm back next Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.